Hello, everyone, and welcome to potentially the final COVID-19s podcast. You might hear from us again. Uh, my name is Ollie, and I'm going to be hosting the podcast today. Basically, a summary of everything that has happened with COVID in the last year and a half now. It's been quite a while. I'm going to hand over to Connor, who is my co-host for today. Connor, if you want to take it away. Uh, thank you very much. I think in order so that our listeners out there can get an idea of who's speaking and who's here, we're going to do a little round robin of introductions. Say their name, their organisation, and uh, a funny little thing about one thing you want to do in the perfect ideal post-COVID world. So hi, I'm Connor. I am a youth voice pioneer. And in a perfect ideal post-COVID world, I would like to get concerts back up to full capacity because I had a little taster one a couple of weeks ago. It was brilliant. There's nothing like feeling the bass in your stomach, like you feel it in your whole body. It's absolutely brilliant. And the atmosphere of the crowd is. Hi, um, I'm Adam Wright. I'm the head of public policy at the British Academy. We're an organisation that represents the humanities and social sciences in the UK. I'm, I'm definitely a hugger, and so I will be definitely going out, possibly hugging random people. But I also a big traveller, and I feel very constrained in our small island and really want to go out and meet lots of other people in the world. So I'm very excited about doing a bit more of that. Um, hi, I am Dr. Debisi Olunloyo, and I am a GP in Greenwich and uh, clinical director of the primary care network in Eltham. I am looking forward to being able to see my patients without wearing PPE and also being able to travel abroad on a family holiday because we've not had one for almost two years now. Hi everyone, I'm, I'm Juliana and uh, I work at NHS South East London Clinical Commission Group. I'm the engagement and communication manager and um, what I'm looking forward to, uh, to to do is to have a nice family Christmas and uh, the same to to have more engaging with young people and with patients face to face than not on uh, online. Uh, what's up, guys? I'm Naki. Um, I'm a youth voice pioneer, and I'm based in Wandsworth, basically doing bits up there. Um, I guess going out with my friends was like one of the main things. So as soon as they're free from uni and like we're all back together again, we're just going to like go out. Uh, hi, I'm Lauren. Uh, I'm a youth voice pioneer from Dorset um, and I'm excited to perform and see performances. So hi, everyone. I'm Laurie. Um, I'm a communications and engagement officer working at Middlesbrough Council. I also work with participation people as well. Um, the thing I'm most looking forward to is probably going on a group holiday with my friends going somewhere nice, going abroad. We don't have to worry about quarantining when we come back. Yeah, really looking forward to that, getting a bit of sunshine. And you guys have already heard from me, uh, but the thing I am most looking forward to coming out of a COVID world is going to be being able to arrange my haircut so that I'm not preparing for one every single lockdown. But thank you, everyone. Now that we've gotten to know each other a little bit better, we are looking at all things COVID-19, the impact on young people and now and in the future short and long-term health impacts, the vaccination system, homeschooling, and even more. 
the entirety of COVID-19 over the last year and a half, nearly two years, has massively impacted young people across the country. It almost feels like most people don't understand. From my personal experience of COVID, uh, I lived with three people who were high risk, um, obviously living with my grandparents and my dad as well being high risk. It was quite a difficult system because I remember when we first started making these podcasts, I briefly spoke about the fact I hadn't left my house in two weeks and that felt horrendous. But throughout the first lockdown, I actually in the end went 12 weeks without even leaving my front door, which was very challenging. The cabin fever certainly set in. And I remember the first time I went out, it was that kind of fear of, oh God, there's people here. I can't get close. It's only kind of, I'd say, probably in the last like four months, five months that I've started to go out a bit more. And it's certainly kind of becoming a bit more, I don't want to say relaxed because it will probably never be relaxed again. Uh, but being able to go out despite knowing people who are high risk and feeling a little bit kind of safer for it is, is certainly a lot nicer. So um, my partner's dad, he's he has a number of different um, problems like diabetes and things like that. And he had to go into hospital during the first lockdown and he caught COVID in hospital and was, was very, very ill and nearly died. And so that was really, really hard on certainly on my partner, but on both of us. It was even harder the fact that we couldn't see him um and that really hurt him as well i think not being able to see his family going through that um he then um got a little bit better but then had to go into hospital uh, a bit later in the year uh and caught covid again a second time in hospital uh, i guess a different variant luckily the second time round wasn't so bad um they gave him some special um experimental kind of steroid drugs that seemed to work really well um, uh, but he's, I mean, he's invincible in <laughs> everything that they throw at him. It, he just seems to get through and we're just so glad, um, to have had him back and, uh, and have him survive. But it was, it's a very difficult thing to go through when someone in your family's ill and you, you really can't see them and they can't see you. There are obviously important reasons for that, but it's, it really hurts their you know their mental health and their ability to have the fight to recover as well it's really hard um yeah i i think mine is slightly different so everyone in my house was in lockdown not going out my husband was working from home my kids were schooling from home but i was the only one going to work and that was a bit worrying because i thought if anyone's going to bring anything back then it's me, I could potentially get infected with COVID and then pass it on to my kids or to my husband. And that was that was a big, um, you know, concern and worry that because obviously I have to go, I, I, I need to go out, I need to see my patients, but then I need to be protected. And so that was the one thing that was quite hard during uh, the lockdown. I think that was kind of, the common consensus on everyone during the pandemic and particularly the first couple of lockdowns, it was that kind of battle between almost the physical side of COVID, but also the mental side. 
because where Adam was saying, obviously, your partner's dad was coming down with COVID and was getting physically ill. In Debisi's instance, it was much more that kind of mental fear of, oh, God, what if I bring it back? And I think it was kind, it's kind of for a lot of young people, they share that mentality because obviously at the start, it was saying uh, if you go out, you're going to kill your nan, something like that. Um, and that was kind of the government message. That's a really morbid message to come from central government aimed at young people. In fact, young people were sacrificing their qualifications and their livelihood as such for the people who were high risk, the people who were central workers. And they wonder why the current young people have very limited faith in the current government. Yeah, I think what worried me about the pandemic was the effect on my mental health because, of course, not being able to leave the house and the effect, that, again, that worry that I might pass it on to my grandma because my mum goes to my grandma's and looks after her quite a bit. So, obviously, I live, I live in the same household as my mum, so I was very, very kind of hypervigilant, not leaving the house at all, staying indoors and just not leaving. Um, and I think that did affect my mental health, but I also really felt for my grandma because the older generation or people who were vulnerable had to stay in a lot more and I think you know what kind of effect did that have on those who were vulnerable and those who were older and couldn't really couldn't leave because I mean I'm not vulnerable I was just worried about my grandma but imagine actually being vulnerable in the first place and really not going out and just being scared that you're going to catch something that could ultimately kill you and I think that was really difficult and I think that's something that a lot of us probably struggled with and, you know, thought about in our heads, passing it on to those who are vulnerable um, because it was just, you know, just so easy to do. And I think that's what really, really got to me. I think the thing we found, particularly within the Pioneers group, obviously we're a group that has been kind of based all across the south of the country. And I think the common concept between us is obviously some of us are from Dorset, which, as some people will know, is probably one of the most rural counties in the country whereas some of us are obviously from London. And it's one thing I'm actually going to ask two of the pioneers to jump in for, to talk about, is the kind of difference between living with COVID in an urban landscape as opposed to living with it in a rural landscape. So, uh, Naki, did you want to talk about the um, kind of impacts COVID had from kind of living in a city standpoint? It, it was dead. It was dead. I'll be real. Yeah. Look, cities, like, it's a lot of people. And... Like, as you guys mentioned before, there's always a fear of, like, oh, if you see someone coughing on the bus or like, if you hear someone sniffling, you start getting freaked out. And it's like, oh, am I going to catch something and bring it back home? But, yeah, in terms of, like, attitudes, I think definitely, like, young people were being blamed more for, like, how COVID was spreading and it's sort of, like, animosity towards us. But I mean, I know like a lot of people that like still follow the rules and they were living with like at risk, like parents or siblings or living with like vulnerable family and they were like following the rules. So it's kind of like, well, I know there's like some people that are just still trying to go pub or like trying to go and break the rules and catch a quick suntan. But I know a lot of people that were like trying to stay indoors and trying to do the most and just follow the rules. From a rural perspective, I'm also from Dorset and I'm even more rural than Ollie because I live in a tiny village in the middle of nowhere. 
So COVID was both, it was better and worse. It was better in the respect that when we were allowed to do one part of exercise a day, we could walk for hours. And that was great without breaking any rules or really seeing anyone at all, which was kind of perfect. Obviously, we're even more isolated in the respect that we never would be able to see anyone we knew without traveling anyway. So it kind of was quite familiar. So I'd say it was probably easier. We're going to move on from kind of discussing the difference in landscape and the impact of COVID. But one thing I would quite like to discuss is the long-term health impacts and how prevalent that has actually become since the start of COVID. There seems to be a lot more emphasis on kind of long-term health, whether that be mental health, physical health. And I want to open this up to the floor as much as I can. What do you guys think the challenges for people who are now experiencing long-term health issues as a result of COVID? What do you think those challenges are? Um, I think as we're starting to come out of uh, lockdowns and pandemic and all that, I, I think there's specifically a an area around mental health, which people aren't often talked about, such as COVID anxiety and health anxiety as well. It can't be understated how much like mental health is still affected by COVID, especially in shops, in larger cities, on public transport and stuff like that. Regardless on how everyone else is protected around you, whether they're wearing face masks or they're choosing not to wear face masks, whether they're vaccinated or not vaccinated. I feel like there's a lot of health anxiety that needs to be spoken about. I feel like it's kind of just shoved away the fact that everyone is assumed to go back into the offices after a year and a half of working from home. People are now having to travel into work, like having to get the tube in rush hour to go across the, the city to go to my form of education, British University, that I'm getting on the tube with people that are going to their workplace, people going to big cities, the big offices, and there's a lot of people and it's really cramped. And how I'm feeling is a bit like, oh, okay, haven't done this in a while. It's like, oh, how many germs are on this train? Whereas before, I never thought like that. Whereas now, I think everyone's just becoming a bit more conscious but then they're having to travel for work because working from home is no longer an option or whether it is an option depending on company to company. I think it's just still recognised about that health anxiety is very much still a real thing and it's still very much can affect as many people as physical health as well. It's still very much a big thing even though we're out of lockdowns. Yeah, I, I'd like to agree with uh, Kona about that because, yes, that is a definite, we've seen a definite increase in anxiety, uh, depression, and just general health anxiety. So you're right, you know, there's the thing of, oh, we now have to all go out and suddenly is everything okay because the government says everything is okay? Do I not know have to wear a mask because somebody says I don't have to wear a mask? You know, but is the COVID still there? So we've definitely seen that. But we've also seen a worsening of definitely mental health problems, you know, and I think for some people, it has jumped off the bandwagon of just being anxious about COVID and afraid and the fear. And then it's made some people have worse mental health you know, with the lockdown, of course, there has been, you know, people being isolated has worsened mental health. I mean, one of the biggest effects in, in, in children and young people, you know, even if they say, oh, you know, young people are not getting COVID infections as much as the elderly or the middle age, 
what was happening was their mental health was being massively affected in this time period. We've had an increase in uh, people being referred for eating disorders and things like that. But even more than that, there's physical health. And, you know, maybe people, because people couldn't exercise, couldn't, you know, go out uh, like what they wanted uh, to, to you know, like normally what they would do. Suddenly there's an increase in finding out conditions like diabetes, even hypertension, things like that. So we have seen the effect both on the physical health and the mental health. Obviously, we are working hard. And I think quite possible that some people might have even had these underlying conditions. But, you know, because of COVID and all the news updates and talking about health and health and health so much, possibly some people have become more aware and every single thing is almost a worry as well. So, you know, it's, it's a balance, but definitely I would agree that that's a big thing about the health anxiety. But then worsening of mental health, we've seen so, so much of that. and physical health as well. I think the piece made some really important points about mental health. I think one thing we mustn't forget is that lots and lots of people during the pandemic, during the lockdown, were still having to go out to work. Doctors like DVC, like health workers, but also people, you know, delivery drivers, people working, you know, in different frontline jobs were having to experience the the trauma of having to deal with with going out every single day and putting themselves and their families in danger and I think we've heard the people talk about this kind of emotional and mental scarring of people that this is something that for those people who have had to live through that during the lockdown that that's going to stay with them as a kind of trauma and be really really hard to get over so I think it's important to see some of the differences between those who are feeling those anxieties about having to go back to work. And unfortunately, some people are being for, you know, forced by their companies to go back in and they're not ready and they're not prepared for it. But there's also those that have also, who have just had to carry on almost as normal in their jobs, um, but have had to do it in a really, really stressful environment. And I think that that's something that is going to cause a lot of long-term mental health impact for people for a long time to come. I think I'm going to be brutally honest here. In terms of my, my physical health, I, I sometimes joke with my mom. It's like, uh, after I got COVID, I lost weight. And I always joke with her, like, oh, that was like one of the benefits of like getting COVID and like being bed bound for like two, three weeks. Is that I lost weight and I, I went down a couple of pan sizes. But I mean, there's nothing like watching your dad have a stroke in front of you and having EMTs work on him at home to put into, into perspective of like looking after yourself but looking after the family as well because that's why like I didn't want to go out to meetings like I just gave up during like the first lockdown I didn't want to go anywhere I didn't want to see anyone I gave up on my schoolwork I think for my mental health as well oh it's it's just peak it's yeah like it's up and down it's like a roller coaster because like I had to deal with my own before COVID came in and then COVID came, I had to deal with, like, parents. I had to deal with school and exams and some other stuff. And then just trying to survive it day to day rather than trying to plan for my future and, like, do stuff like that. And now even coming out of it, like, the stuff that got me during COVID is still with me. And, yeah, I don't know if I'm ever going to get rid of it or, like, 
if I'm going to go back to being like my old self a year and a half, two years ago. I think that's the difficulty with COVID in particular is obviously at the moment, this is such a vast topic, but COVID anxiety is currently at probably one of the highest points it's been, particularly from the young people that I've seen and I've worked with, because it seems that they are very, at the moment with the media being what it is, particularly the vaccination course for young people, that seems to be causing a great deal of COVID anxiety. And obviously the news isn't massively helping. So when talking about vaccinations, it's a very interesting topic, especially when talking about in the context of young people, considering that now that majority of uh, the country has had uh, their first dose, or if not their second dose of the vaccine, it is now being given out and dispensed to younger people to think about getting their vaccinations and get them thinking about if they would like to receive the vaccination and what sort of information that they are getting and receiving around the vaccine. And I think it's quite interesting considering the sort of resources and information that there is a lot of different sources that young people are getting and it can be quite overwhelming considering you've got the home um, aspect of from like parents and the people that you live with who may or may not have been vaccinated, their opinions will influence the young person as well. But um, I'd like to bring in uh, Luliana in here to talk about sort of like the work that she's been doing around young people and getting their opinions on the sort of things that they would want to see and how things would like to work for them, if that's okay. Yeah, it, it is it is very important to to know and to have the 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 message, the right message, and people to understand and have the right information and know where to 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 look for the information. And that was was very much important for us. And we've been working with uh, young people council in Greenwich, like talking with young people directly to understand about what it is important and. Um, have an insight on, on on how how the message should be, uh, what kind of messages to understand, what kind of questions they have, which channels we should use for for uh, ensuring that we are reaching young people. Because we clearly with the vaccination program, we needed to adapt our messages and uh, to for all the like all ages, and we needed to to ensure that we we are we are doing right and give the the, the young people the right information for them to make an informed decision regarding the, the, the vaccination. But uh, uh, yeah, and I would like to also to, to pass uh, uh, maybe to, to Dr. Debussy to tell about her experience in, in uh, working directly with young people because she, she supported us to, to organize like Instagram and Facebook live events to, to have the opportunity to speak directly with young people. Yeah, thanks Elena. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the important things, I know a lot of like what you guys said and what was in the media was all about young people catching COVID and then bringing it home to the elderly and then potentially giving it to a grandma or grandpa and then they, they die, so sort of killing them off. But the, the, one of the most important things I'd like young people to, to, to recognize is that young people do get COVID. Some of them, a lot of them do are well or are asymptomatic or you know they just have like a really mild illness but there's still I've seen young people that have got long COVID I've seen people that have you know these are young people no medical conditions you know living their best lives athletes 
quite fit and healthy and suddenly feel breathless every time they work. They feel, you know, different things like that. And that's one thing that is really important for young people to recognize that you can get COVID and you can get long COVID. And this is not to scare anybody. It's about spreading the right information. Now, the, you know, one of the big things is taking that vaccination. Yes, it will help protect people around you and people you love, but it will help protect you as well. And no one wants to end up in long COVID. Like I always say, part of the problem with COVID is that it was a new virus in the sense of nobody knew about COVID-19 before it had never happened. And so long COVID is still being researched right now. Nobody knows how long people are going to have these symptoms and things like that. So nobody wants to get into that. But, you know, for me, I think any young person come to me, I want them to hear the right information. I know that lots of young people go online, they, they, they go on the internet. The other day I had a, a patient tell me that he, he was an ex-smoker, but during the lockdown, he took up smoking because he read on the internet that smoking will help kill the virus. I mean, like that is complete disinformation. Like that is really wrong. So you know, I we worked with S, um, with Southeast London CCG and we did a few um, vaccination programs just answering questions. And the funny thing with young people is a lot of them didn't even have like real complicated questions. They just wanted to know, is it going to hurt? How do I feel after the vaccine? And, you know, those questions, definitely most of the time having a vaccine does not hurt. The COVID vaccine in particular can be, you know, most people will say, oh, have you done it? Or you feel a bit of pain. And then afterwards you might get, you know, pain in the arm, which 24, 48 hours, some people feel a bit fluey, but then within 24, 48 hours, they feel better. Some people get headaches and things like that. But generally most young people are fine. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things I want to say that, you know, yes, you've got the, the strength of, youth behind you and and that would just for that boost your immunity against the virus also in terms of the vaccine from a young person's perspective obviously it's quite new that young people were able to have it and I, all I can do is talk about my experience and personally when I went to have the vaccine I am terrified of needles but um so I was very nervous going to do this vaccine but I thought that I should um and all I can say is that it was a really good experience and the, the people there were very well-trained and supportive, able to distract me with random talks about things so that I didn't notice. The only reason you don't want to get it is because you're scared it's going to hurt. I think there's some amazing trained staff and my experience was really good. I agree with you there, Lauren, um, especially the staff. I thought they were absolutely brilliant when I went and got my uh, first vaccine. I went to a walk-in centre, actually, because I heard that one had opened. And I was when I was trying to book online, it was like, everything was like for like in two weeks' time. And I thought, oh. And then I found there was a walk-in just, I don't know, like a, less than a mile from my house. So I went there, didn't have to queue for long at all. People were absolutely lovely. Didn't hurt, could barely feel it. And then just had a little bit of soreness around my arm afterwards. Um, but everyone looked after me so well. It was brilliant. But then after I had my first vaccine, I caught COVID. But I genuinely think that that vaccine like helped me no end, even though it was just after the one dose. I caught it, but it was only very mild. I didn't feel very well, of course, but it was more like a um, head cold. If you were just to have a head cold, so like a headache, um, a cough and a sore throat. Those are my only symptoms when I caught it. And I think if I didn't have that vaccine, I can't help but think of what it could have been. 
if I hadn't have had that. So I think it was just amazing and how quickly NHS staff worked to, to get sorted so quickly and to support us all with it. So um, I'm just really, really grateful to the NHS for, for that. And I genuinely think that first dose of the vaccine really, really, really helped me because, yeah, <laughs> I didn't really have many symptoms at all. So I'm very lucky. Considering when I was, especially around the time of trying to book my vaccination, and I felt like I needed to ask the opinions of my peers about what sort of reaction they had. So trying to envision or like think ahead about what sort of reaction I would have. And some of my friends had really uh, some positive reviews. They're like, yeah, it didn't affect them. What, what They walked in, had their jabs, sat down 20 minutes later, walked out and it was fine. But then some people had really bad re, uh, re, reactions to it and required extra medical attention and I feel like it's not all, always the case that that, that is all go, going to be fine but then I feel like there's also about having the correct right information so because like a story from my friend about their experiences could have frightened me and said look I know I know I know I'm, I'm not having it and that would have put me off but then that meant I had to go then look at other information. It's just a lot of what's out there and what's reliable. Because a story from your friend, you think, oh my God, like I like like I trust this person, I know what they're doing. And then obviously parental behavior can also be influential on a on a young person's decision. So on that note, I'm gonna pass over to Adam to talk about more about this stuff because he's slightly more qualified than I am. Adam, over to you. Well, I mean, just to say on, on vaccines, I mean I've just I got a text from my dad just now to say that he's had his booster vaccine so he's had three vaccines and he's very happy about that um both myself and my partner had the Pfizer vaccine and we had a bit of a sore arm but we were we were both fine afterwards and I think we were both happy um not just to think that we were protected but also there's now evidence to say the vaccines also help stop you spread it to other people so that's really good too the two things together but what I was going to say was that the British Academy has worked with some um, researchers here in the UK but also in the United States uh, to look at why people uh, are not taking up the vaccine uh, and it's really interesting to see you know some of the reasons and I think we mentioned and Debisi mentioned you know there is a lot of misinformation out there um, and it spreads very, very quickly on social media. And it's also very hard sometimes to tell the difference between what is genuine uh, evidence and, and what is made up. Uh, and so, you know, I don't blame people really for, for falling into, um, into these um, traps of, of reading uh, the wrong information. But there's also evidence that um, some of the language and examples that the government use uh, particularly for young people, they're very much focused on, on what adults would think about, but not what children would, and young people would think about. Um, the kind of examples they use, the kind of language they use is not so um, easily accessible and, and doesn't really, uh, you know, with, with young people, young people don't really understand it in the same way. The, one of the specific challenges for young people, I think like others have said, is that there's a belief that they won't catch the virus or if that they do, it won't be so bad. And that the research suggested that was the main reason why younger people were not taking the vaccine. And it wasn't ne necessarily that they were scared that the vaccine would, would harm them, but just that it was 
um, you know, not important to them. And so it's important to think about both what, what um, Debisi and Juliana have been saying, that you can catch the virus, it can be bad, um, and you, it can be quite serious for young people as well. But also that by taking the vaccine, you're much less likely to pass it on to your friends and family. And that's also really important. And that you know, young people also tend to, I certainly did when I was younger, have a distrust of government sometimes and like to rebel. And I think it's, there's also a feeling that if you, if you don't trust the government because they might let you down on GCSE results or something, that, that that might make you feel differently. But it's important to see that this is scientific information uh, and you're not necessarily supporting a government or politics or a particular um, group by taking the vaccine. It's, it's something that is, is really part, part about saving people's lives and, and making sure that you're protected as well. Um, so those are the kind of things that we found. And I think it's really important that, that people know about it. You'll have a dead arm for a couple of days. But other than that, normally, like with me and most of the people I know, you were fine. And that's kind of the thing that young people need to be taught. They need to kind of understand. Uh, the next topic we want to talk about is homeschooling. Obviously, during the pandemic, it, it, was, it very much put schools to test as to whether or not they could manage to homeschool. Uh, and we've actually got a slightly younger guest um, who is here to talk about their experience of homeschooling. Yeah, so we started homeschooling, when was it, last a year ago, um, around October, November, mm. and I think we started it because I, I've got this tummy condition and it gets like really, it like really gets under like anxiety and stuff like that, and we started homeschooling and yeah, and ever since then it's just been like a bit better because it hasn't, I haven't had enough, I haven't had anxiety, like the teachers at school would go, get this done in 15 minutes, I'd be like, oh my God, I, got, I don't understand it, I'd be like, all right, we'll keep you on a break then, fine, and like give me a detention for, just because I didn't understand maths or something, and um, like being homeschooled, you just get like enough time to do stuff like in your own time, in your own pace, so it's not like you've got to finish this, you're on a set timetable, but it's just a bit like, oh, take it a bit slow, if you don't understand it, you can slowly do it, like, yeah. Would you find that throughout the course of obviously being homeschooled, because you mentioned about your stomach condition, do you feel like you've been able to kind of look after your own sort of physical health? So your stomach condition, so you've been able to kind of feel well, a lot better than yeah. when you were actually in school. Yeah, because at school they used to, so when I got it, like, I'd go to the reception and I'd go, it really hurts. Can you call my parents to bring me their tablet? And they go, does it actually hurt though? And when I'm now I'm at home it's like oh it hurts okay we'll go get you a tablet sure you can have that and you'll feel a bit better it's been like that now no it's good that you've certainly found it easier to manage I know a fair few of the young people that I work with outside of my other jobs have a very similar attitude that actually being homeschooled wasn't the worst thing but do you find that being homeschooled do your teachers look after you? Do they make sure you're able to keep up with the work? Do they kind of make sure that you're paying attention to your learning? Yeah, my main teacher is my mum, who's standing next to me in the corner. But um, if it is something that you don't understand and you need to do it and you don't crack it in one and you've got to go on to the next lesson, it's you do repeat it, maybe like you would do at school. So you'd repeat it, but 
at school they'd move on and if you get stuck on something they just give you a brief little thing and then expect you to do it but because you've got like one-on-one focus you can actually get it done without the teacher going to like need to go see someone else or something like that uh, I'm going to open it up to the floor a bit as well to other people because obviously we've got Connor who has just done his first year at university during a pandemic. Uh, we've got Naki who's just done his A-levels. For me, when I was first isolating, because if, if anyone here has listened to all the podcasts, you guys will know that I was isolating about three weeks before the general population. And I found that for me, being suddenly out of school and thinking, oh, what's going to happen to my A-levels? It was very much a case of the government didn't know what way they wanted to go. And I'd still argue that they don't. And I think coming out of this COVID world as such into what we are all pretty on the same page about will be a completely different world. It's just that element of, now is the time to change education. Now is the time to teach things. Because I saw on Twitter a while back, I think it was um, a group called UK Youth. And they did a survey that found that like 40% of young people, something like that, they, 40% of young people didn't know the life skills that they needed. And this is the argument that I've always had about schooling, is that you're not taught the skills you need to live. You're taught the skills you need to pass an exam. Education has been very something I've been immensely vocal on. And I think coming out of COVID is now a very good time to kind of change that. The thing that I mainly want to speak about here is what kind of aspects of policymaking do young people want to be involved in, particularly coming out of COVID? Because I know for me, I have been working with organizations to get them to become more youth friendly. And I think the issue that a lot of these organizations have is that sense of wanting to do what's best for young people without actually including young people. Uh, It's quite counterproductive because young people are very, very vocal about what they want and uh, they will cause a a pretty big uproar if they're they're not listened to. (laughs) From my personal experience of working with young people who want to make change and particularly in wanting to change in like a council or government level, It's very often brushed off the motion for free school meals last year. When that went through, I reached out to our MP. Uh, I won't say which one. And I basically, I asked him about the reasoning for his vote and how I felt that he wasn't representing his constituents. He was representing his own career. I think the issue that a lot of organizations have nowadays is wanting to do what's best for young people without even considering what young people think does anyone else have anything else to add to this about what sort of young people want to be involved uh, yeah as as i mentioned before i think it is very important to listen to young people and involve them in uh, in everything we do because in any decision that we make about their lives and uh, that, that's 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 essential, and to make that that possible, it's to to listen to them first and build trust and encourage them to to be involved. Um, definitely, it is important to to speak uh, the, r- the right language and to avoid any barriers on like different uh, 
that sometimes and like NHS, it's it's very much about the lots of acronyms and the lots of more the language that might be difficult for for young people to to not, not to understand because they they are intelligent and I'm sure they understand. It's about like feeling that 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 they can be part of and they belong to 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 that and we need to make it accessible for for uh, for them and. That's 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 very important, and I think having like mechanisms as you, uh, youth council uh, um, as as we have in Greenwich, it is very important because that's that's through them. It's not organized by us; it's organized by young people, and it's us going to to them, not uh, inviting them to come to us because this is not going to work. We're going to move on to our takeaways. So these are the things that we obviously do at the end of every podcast basically just to talk about what we've discussed summarize and things that you guys uh, that are listening need to try and remember professionals your first takeaway is health anxiety is a real thing and young people traveling to school or university are worried so consider this and talk to young people about how you can help consider what can be done to reassure young people and enable them to continue to live their lives as normal as possible our second takeaway for professionals is that be a positive example. Young people have told us that they feel reassured when seeing their teachers wearing masks and keeping their distance when teaching. So set that model and just be there for young people. Our third takeaway is that there is a lot of disinformation out there and it could be dangerous. Help young people know what they can trust and how to recognise reliable sources of information. Our fourth takeaway for professionals is young people can get long COVID. Obviously, everyone assumes that we might not, but young people can get long COVID and its impacts can be significant on us. Consider this when working with us as we may be more tired or susceptible to other illnesses. If your work affects young people, include young people. For young people, your first takeaway is that there's a lot of disinformation so don't believe everything you read double click all the information to make sure it's reliable or use government or nhs sources facebook is not the place to go people just saying uh our second takeaway for young people is that make sure you guys can find out all you can to help you make the most informed choice around the vaccine so as we said use government or nhs websites to get the most info And our third takeaway is that testing and reporting these tests helps to reduce the spread of COVID-19. So it's important to make sure you're regularly testing and you register all your tests online as well. Thank you for all of our guest speakers for coming on. Uh, We hope you enjoyed what is potentially our final COVID-19s podcast. We have all gotten older. We have all gotten greyer. And we've all certainly got much, much better at Zoom. Uh, But yeah, thank you, everyone. And we'll see you all next time.